You're listening to Beyond the Chart, where we go off the record with Baton Rouge General's medical elite. I'm your host, Brogan Taj. Let's get charting. Welcome back to Beyond the Chart. It's your host, Brogan, and I have Dr. Casey Chapman here with me today. He's the medical director for Baton Rouge General's Crohn's and Colitis Center, and he's going to give us some fire content about inflammatory bowel disease. Well, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Chapman. You ready to jump right in? I am. Thanks for having me. No problem. All right, so tell me a little bit more about yourself. How did you get into this field? Well, I'll tell you that um, I am from Baton Rouge, originally born and raised here, and then uh, went to medical school at New Orleans, uh, LSU in New Orleans. And um, my original plan was to go into internal medicine uh, after kind of a, a struggle with whether or not I was going to do surgery, but um, <clears throat> found my home with, with internal medicine. And then, uh, honestly, the, the goal was not to, be, to do gastroenterology. It, uh, it was cardiology or pulmonary critical care is where I thought I was going to end up. Mm-hmm. But luckily enough, I was able to do my training here in Baton Rouge at uh, uh, the great training grounds of Earl K. Long. Mm-hmm. And, and I was introduced to um, gastroenterology really through the field of inflammatory bowel disease. Mm-hmm. And that's where it kind of struck a passion for me. And that's, that's where I still focus uh, my clinical practice now is, is, is uh, on Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. So I can probably, um, probably say that that's where I got the passion to, to become a gastroenterologist was, was by helping those those mm-hmm. patients themselves. What was it about those patients that like, you're well, like this, these are the people I want to help? You know, it's a great question. And, and in 2005, um, 2006, you know, we were learning about it. And I saw our first patients in the hospital when I was in medical school. And then I started my internship and residency. And we had a GI clinic at Earl K. Long that really nobody wanted to do because it was a long clinic where we had a lot of very sick patients. And the treatments, frankly, were not that good. We had just been introduced to what was called the anti-TNFs, which were very scary. These are T-cell inhibitors, which really just means that it decreases the way your white blood cells can respond to inflammation. Well, that's great for inflammatory bowel disease, but it's bad if you have an infection because we need an inflammatory response to help heal infections. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of buzz around, well, if you use these, we're going to have a lot of problems. These are very dangerous medications. And so we had this, this desperate group of patients who had kind of been warehoused, so to speak, and in hopes that we would have newer therapies. Mm-hmm. Well, as we uh, treated those patients, newer therapies were on the horizon, and it became fantastically, um, uh, you know, it, I guess I would say it became very uh, exciting mm-hmm. for the, the possibility of treating this patient population, which was, you know, to put it, you know, simply, they didn't have much of a um, a quality of life. Yeah. And so with that, the immunology behind it, as well as the disease process and the hope to help that patient population was really the driver Yeah. to, to do that. Okay. So let's back it up. Let's explain exactly what inflammatory bowel disease is for people who might not know. So inflammatory bowel disease consists of what we think right now. And I say that because maybe we'll get into this a little bit later, yeah. but, but we think it's too diseases. And I don't use the word distinct because the lines are becoming more blurred. Mm -hmm. Their ulcerative colitis is is one. And the second would be Crohn's disease. Two similar, but 
but different. Involves the inflammatory response um, of your body to the interaction uh, to the stool. Mm-hmm. And so what we see, it's not, it, it, some people may call it an autoimmune disease. Some people may categorize it as an immunoinflammatory disease. An autoimmune disease would be that you're attacking your own self. Well, this is attacking the stool mm-hmm. at the lining of the small bowel. Even uh, the colon uh, in Crohn's, it can even involve the mouth, the esophagus, the stomach in mm-hmm. Crohn's disease. So, but what's, for, so what's kind of the difference between So the ulcerative two? colitis is only in the colon. Okay. It only affects the lining or the 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 uppermost layer of the colon. So in the colon, uppermost layer does not leave the colon. Okay. Unlike Crohn's. So and you just said Crohn's affects other parts. From the mouth all the way down to the bottom. So Crohn's is worse than. You know, very good question and a popular um, belief. Mm-hmm. Now Crohn's, you know, you've seen one patient with Crohn's disease. You've seen one patient with Crohn's disease because there's no patients that are the same. Mm-hmm. Meaning that. There are patients who have Crohn's disease who may not have the inflammatory burden, which would decrease the quality of life that somebody with ulcerative colitis may have. So in certain instances, that may be correct. Um, But there are some instances of ulcerative colitis, which can be, I would say, quote unquote, more disabling or worse than Crohn's disease. Gotcha. So do a lot of people like live with these diseases and they might not even know or, you know? We are hoping that there's going to be more of a push. It's, It's not as easy to market as breast cancer yeah, you know there's sure. no none, there's yeah. nothing sexy about uh you know problems having bowel movements mm-hmm. but nonetheless it is not only becoming more uh, uh, more public awareness mm-hmm. but we also are seeing an increase in incidence which means there's more patients being di- diagnosed than ever before and it's not only because we're finding them it's because we have an increase in the overall diagnosis, meaning that there's more and more patients with this disease every day, and it is a lifetime disease. So what should you be looking for? So there, there's, there's a publication that came out about six or seven years ago, which I think is frankly probably one of the easiest things to think about, and it, it's for primary care physicians to think about, hey, would this patient possibly have inflammatory bowel disease, mm-hmm. Crohn's or UC or ulcerative colitis? And it has to do with um, are you waking up at night to have bowel movements? That's one of them. Hmm. Um, That's interesting. Have you lost weight? Are you um, avoiding certain I've foods? Lost weight without trying. Correct. To lose weight. Are yeah. you are you in a, you know um, passively having weight loss where you're not expecting to lose weight, but you're not sure how it's happening, but it's not magic. Something's happening. Yeah. Um, are you avoiding certain foods? Do you have abdominal pain? And then have you seen any blood in your stool? Mm-hmm. So if you check any one of those five, those are not common for anybody to have, especially nocturnal stools accompanied by maybe the urgency or the blood in your stool. Yeah. And so those things will really increase the predictability for this diagnostic, diagnosis of the disease. Gotcha. Um, so what's your best course of action if you see any of these things? Go to primary care first? You know, yeah, seek medical attention because mm-hmm. time is not on your side if yeah. you do have one of these diseases, but we can intervene and really stop or change the progression of the disease now. We have good therapies okay. compared to back in like 2006, what we talked about before. Yeah. Um, you know, we have everything from oral therapies, which are, um, you know, age-old therapies from the 60s mm-hmm. um, all the way back, which still have a very nice place and are very safe. All the way to um, uh, more uh, advanced therapies, which can be oral, mm-hmm. 
but sometimes subcutaneous or injectable therapies, and then sometimes infusion therapies where you get a medication into your vein. Um, all of which are, I, I guess I would say, matched to the severity of the disease. There's no one-size-fits-all. Mm -hmm. So is there anything that triggers these issues? Yeah, so... You know, that's a fantastic question, and it's one of the it's one of the areas that we are hoping to figure out more about. Mm -hmm. um, the exposures to antibiotics, to NSAIDs or anti-inflammatory mm -hmm. medications such as um, ibuprofen or naproxen, Aleve, you know, mm -hmm. those are the things that we think maybe they interrupt the natural lining of mm -hmm. the of the gut mucosa or the protective barrier yeah. and that could allow some abnormal sampling of the fecal material to say maybe this is foreign but it all comes down to there's a genetic driver to this okay our genetic predisposition but just because you have the genetics doesn't mean you're going to get the disease mm -hmm. it's fascinating there are identical twins who do not have the same disease but hmm. they have the same genetics and yeah. then there's um you know, fraternal twins who have the disease, although they have different genetics, which really is only a example to show that it is not because of genetics only. There is an environmental uh, phenomenon here. Mm -hmm. There's some exposure phenomenon. And it kind of opens up the entire question box about microbiome. What's the driver mm -hmm. there and what's the secret? Is it is it the chicken or the egg? Is it the is it the gut flora that drives this, or is it our genetics that abnormally sample and respond to the gut flora? Gotcha. I've been told to ask what the term leaky gut means. Sure. It's, it's <laughs> a, it is an enormous umbrella term, and it means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, there's a lot of people who would roll their eyes at the the, the term leaky gut it, because it's so difficult yeah. to quantify, and it's been... It's been popularized and marketed to where there are full aisles at our grocery stores now that are anti-inflammatory mm -hmm. foods or um, certain um, online communities that will tell you if you eat X, then we will cure all of your diseases. Yeah. And <clears throat> while there may be some truth to it, it is not proven, and there's no scientific data to push that. The, the term leaky gut is really formed around the scientific uh, basis that there are junctions or tight junctions or, or between cells mm -hmm. or the smallest pieces of um, the, the human body when it comes down to how our small bowel is held together. Mm -hmm. So after things exit the stomach, they enter the small intestine, the small bowel, and that's where we start to really absorb most of our micronutrients and nutrients. Well, it's thought that certain foods can cause those tight junctions or those, those, those fasteners that hold the cells together can become looser. And when that happens, certain inflammatory mediators or substances can leak through, gotcha. therefore causing this cascade or waterfall of poor response, which is inflammatory, can cause asthma. And, it, and I'm not telling you that it does do that, yeah. but this is the thought process that that is where all disease starts, at the leaky gut. Gotcha. So you kind of touched on this a second ago, um, like the big movement to like about your gut health and anti-inflammatory stuff. How much of that 
should you be concerned with? Should you be taking a probiotic? Should you, you know? So I'll start with, so two, two questions there, probiotic, yeah. question mark, and the idea of the gut flora. Mm-hmm. So there's no doubt that the gut flora itself can be predictive of certain types of inflammation. The problem that we've tried to do is we're trying to figure out, do we change the gut flora or do we change how we feed the existing gut flora? In other words, there's always been a thought and there's people who are spending millions of dollars out there to, to map out stool. They are in these huge academic centers with millions of dollar grants and they're taking stool samples all day long, a glamorous position to have. That sounds super fun. And then they get to map stool. They try to say how much of each type of bacteria is present in the stool. And they do it in healthy individuals. Mm-hmm. And then they do it in individuals with different types of diseases. Well, now you're left with the question, well, did the flora cause the disease or did the disease cause the flora? Chicken, chicken versus egg. Correct. And there you have this huge, another multi-billion dollar industry that says, let's change your flora. Okay. Well... Maybe that is the answer, but I'll tell you, we have not been successful. The American College of Gastroenterology came out two years ago and says, we do not condone the use of probiotics Okay. because we don't know how or when to use them except for in some disease states, which is probably for a whole nother discussion. Yeah. But nonetheless, the point being is that it's a more targeted use because we don't know how to use them and when because you're taking one pill and we're trying to match it to everybody's gut flora or mm-hmm. microbiome, which we know they're all different. Yeah. So it doesn't make a lot of sense there. There's no target. Yeah. So should I not be eating yogurt with a probiotic in it? Yogurt will not hurt you. Fermented okay. foods will not hurt you. They're actually good for gut health. Okay. But what I think the the miscommunication is that we think we can use those as a curative agent mm-hmm. um, to get rid of or treat certain things in lieu of taking what we should be taking or eating a healthy diet. Um, there's nothing to replace a healthy diet. And okay. yeah, yogurt's fantastic. Fermented foods have lots of data on them, mm-hmm. but they're not a, they're an adjunct. They're not a cure. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, that's all great information. You want to jump into the rapid fire questions? Sure. All right. What's your favorite dessert? Favorite dessert. Simple. I would say uh, brownie and ice cream. I love that. Warm brownie, obviously. Oh, yeah. Um, are you taking any vacations this summer? Oh, God. I don't know if it's going to be a vacation. I've got I've got three kids. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping my wife doesn't listen to this <laughs> because uh, I'm taking my three kids, my wife, my mom and dad, her mom, and the in-laws to Florida, and we rented one house. I'm sure it'll be fine. It's going to be fantastic. I just you might need a vacation. I keep from telling the myself that. That's right. Now I'm looking forward to this. It'll be my first uh, first days off this year. Awesome. Um, if you could watch one TV show for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh gosh, that's tough. I don't watch TV. Yeah. And I stopped watching the news about three years ago, yeah. which was probably the best thing I've ever done. You don't watch any like no- nothing on Netflix or anything. Um, I'll I'll try. I'll try to do Netflix, but it takes probably three or four months to get through uh, one season of something. All right. Um, what's the most rewarding part of your job? That's easy. Okay. The most rewarding part of my job is when you see a patient who comes in who feels like there is no hope. They're scared. They see You can see desperation, 
and you sit down with that patient and you're able to just listen, you form that trust. There's a communication lane there that you have established to where they are ready to do whatever it takes on their end to get better. And they trust you to do whatever it is that you need to do to get them better. And so it's obviously healing. It's what we all came you know, to do as healthcare providers, why we all got into medicine. But it's the hope. It's giving those patients hope that they are going to have a life back. Because these poor, young, old, middle-aged folks, they feel like there's nothing they can do and that no medical provider can really help them. And so that's the best part by far. Awesome. Okay, so on the reverse of that, what's the worst part of your job? The worst part of my job is dealing with the barriers to getting the care to those patients. And I I know that there's got to be a check and a balance system. Mm -hmm. Um, But the most difficult part is probably having to fight for the patients when you know what's right for them and you're dealing with someone who may not know what's right for them. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a difficult thing. And, And so hopefully there will be more evolution in that field. Gotcha. Are you a dog person or a cat person? Dog. Do you have a dog? I kind of do. We dog sit a lot. We dog sit a lot for my parents, uh, which my kids, you ask them, yeah, we have a dog. Okay. So maybe it's just me uh, uh, telling myself we don't have one. Gotcha. Are you reading any books right now? Yeah. So I read a couple of books right now. Um, there's a, a, a book that I've read a couple of times that I'm rereading. Uh, it's called uh, Grit by Angela Duckworth. Mm-hmm. And then um, there is another book that I have read before as well, which is just a quick pickup book. And it's a guy, by a guy named Clayton Christensen, who I think is probably one of the most influ- influential businessmen of our decade. Mm-hmm. And he was the Harvard Business um, uh, School chairman. And he passed away in January of 2021 <clears throat> from recurrent uh, lymphoma, which is the same thing that took his dad. And the book is called How Will You Measure Your Life? And it is a fantastic read. It's a, it's a one-day read, um, and it's a quick, easy read. So You would recommend both those books? Both great books, um, both very good books. And another one is probably um, um, Designing Healthcare, which is uh, um, Elizabeth Ticeberg and Michael Porter, two fantastic, another, not a small read. That's, yeah. a, that's a little bit deeper than the first two. Gotcha. All right. Um, what's your favorite restaurant in town? Hmm. Favorite restaurant in town is probably, um, God, this is tough. I would probably say Mansour's because they have so many different types of fish. Gotcha. I love fish. I love yeah. seafood. Do you go fishing? I try. Try? I try. I used to fish a whole lot more. Before um, kids? Yeah, before kids. That's a, it's a funny BK, right? Before yeah. kids. Um, what advice would you give to yourself in med school? If you could like go back, what advice would you give to yourself? You know, believe it or not, I think about this a lot. And I was given a lecture the other night to... Um, two nights ago, actually, to the fellows um, at a university. And and when I finished, I talked to him about, you know, you're at a point in your career where you have your life ahead of you. Mm-hmm. And understand that you need to stay true to what fuels you. And what fuels you is to help people. And you got into this field for, for that reason alone. Mm-hmm. And if you continue to stay true to 
three things, which is number one, take care of your patients. Number two, take care of providers, which is your colleagues. Mm -hmm. And number three is don't worry about anything having to do with profit because it'll come. So in other words, make sure you keep those three things in order. Because one thing we don't do well enough as physicians is take care of each other. And I think take we do a fantastic job of taking care of patients. Yeah. But you've got to take care of your patients, but you also got to make sure that we take care of our providers and each other. That's probably the one thing that I've learned over the last 10, 15 years. Awesome. That's a great answer. Well, is there anything else you want our audience to know? You know, um, no, I think, I think we're at an exciting time, especially in, in, in gastroenterology, um, not only in the field of gastroenterology, it, um, but also in the disease spaces that we see. We have so many new therapies coming out. There's so, going to be so many new ways to deliver the therapies as well as so many new ways to help the people um, surrounding those therapies. In other words, the medicine is one part mm-hmm. of – the medication is one part yeah. of medicine. The delivery of the medication, meaning how you get it, who surrounds it, and the support mechanisms, I think are going to be more and more important, more recognized, which is going to actually hopefully change the face of how we practice. Awesome. That's all great information. Well, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks for going Beyond the Chart. Follow Baton Rouge General on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for behind the scenes, upcoming episodes, and more. Feel free to subscribe and leave a review.